I want to review with you where we are. We're talking about the flow of prophecy. And it's not just about the end times. We talked about Jesus Christ and prophecy. We talked about how prophecy proves Scripture is true and how you can bet your bottom dollar on it if you were a betting person. And not only that, but God wants us to prove that. So we also have to understand that prophecy will give you the idea of how God's plan is rolling out. It's not just about Christians. It's not just about Israel. It's about the plan for the world and how it all maps together. And we can understand that. Remember what we know about God. Many things we know. One of the things is that there is no king or despot or great or not so great ruler that ever comes to power unless God installs that person in power, right? So even though our president right now, which many of us are not too thrilled with, I'm not thrilled with any of them because if you start learning the background of them, none of them are who they say they are. But God allows these people to come in and out of power. And for those of us who prayed for a better president, we don't have one. But we do see what this president is doing. And isn't he bringing us closer into the new world order? He's merging us into the ideals of the four kings that we're tracking from Abraham. Remember, he battled four kings. Just reviewing this a little bit. And we're tracking those four kings to guess what? The four, count them, four Gentile world powers. Anybody not recognize that little statue there? He's little, but you can see him. It's the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is the basis of the beginning of the book of Daniel. Actually, it's the basis of the whole prophecy. And what we're doing here. We tracked those four kings, and I showed you through history that those four kings that Abraham met, they were labeled out in Genesis, and they actually progress as you see the people migrate. These kingdoms progress not only into the time of Daniel, but afterward to into the book of Revelation. And I'm going to show you, I'm showing you the major one that, the, actually two major ones, where the king Elas, the people from him became the Grecian people, and they call themselves to this day, Elas or Helas, or when Alexander the Great came, what did he do to the world? He Hellenized the world. Memory has long legs. One of the great ways you can prove prophecy. We also know about the king of Elam, which is the one I'm really tracking. The king of Elam, if you can see here, I'm going to try to show you here better. If you see on this map, you see Iran right there? Elam... In history, that king who Abraham fought, here's Iran, okay, so Elam comes from the Caspian Sea down to Qatar, the Kuwait area, in this area right here, and comes up the coast of Iran and takes a little bit of Iraq. All of this area was really the basis of ancient Persia. It wasn't just the landmass of Iran, it was also here, because if you look at the Middle East then, here's the same area where you see Iran, Iraq, the modern-day countries. In this map, you'll see Medo-Persia, Here's Media, here's Persia, here's the Caspian Sea, Iran, Persia. And you'll notice that Elam, which you see the name right here, is all part of this area, which I mapped out here. Does that make sense? Is everybody following that? Okay, so we're tracking that. What I want to show you, though, we've already been through some of this. So we're tracking Elam. Now, there are prophecies against Elam in Scripture. And we're going to prove a couple of things. First of all, we're going to prove who these people are. We already know where these are. So they're probably Iranian. Probably, because you see it right there. It's also not the whole country of Iran. It's the western part of Iran. I showed you this here. So, I told you that Fordo Nuclear Power Plant, there was an explosion. 
there was an explosion in the Estefan power plant. And guess where they both are? Right here. Now, I'm going to show you, because you see, you, I, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to let you see how prophecy is rolling out where the, where the rubber meets the road. This is what I want you to see, and this is how much control God has. So now let's talk about the prophecies of Elam. And, I'm, and I started last week, and I'm going to do this now. So if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Boy, thank you, Jennifer, these glasses. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be able to do this at all. I'd be like, whoa. Thanks to Janet, I can actually read the scripture I have here. <laughs> Chapter 11 and verse 1, I want to set the stage here. We're going to see what God himself said about what is going to happen to Elam. We're also going to prove the time frame that this is said. And we're going to prove that it's not happened before. This is not what he's talking about has happened hundreds of years ago. We're talking about what's going to happen in the very near future. And how do we know that? Because we're going to allow Isaiah to set the time frame. Now, those of you who were here last week, I started talking about that. We're going to review it again, and we're going to start right there. So, the timing of the prophecies against Elam. Now, you know Elam means at least the southwestern area of Persia, today's Iran. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Isaiah is now going to give us the timing, and I want you to think of where we are here. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots. Now, who is Jesse? I have a friend named Jesse, but I'm sure it ain't him. David's father. father. It's the root of Jesse. So Jesse's David's father, which means King David was his son. And who's going to be coming in the line of the Davidic covenant to take the throne of David? That's why you have a capital B. He's a branch out of this tree, if you will. You ever look at like Ancestry.com? I bet if you look David up, you'd see Jesse and you'd see branches come out. And eventually you'd see Jesus. This is basically what he's saying. So he didn't have Ancestry.com in those days. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, see how we're getting more sure of who Isaiah is talking about. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither shall reprove after the hearing of his ears. Stop for a moment. What did Jesus always say when he walked this earth? He did, that's right. And what does it say in Revelation when he is allowed to be the one? Remember, he's the one that's found worthy of administering judgment on the earth. And does he actually administer his own judgment? How do you know that? Say again? You're right, but I'm trying to get you to, to realize what he said, because we know that he said verbatim, I never speak my own words. I only speak what the Father tells me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he also says that he will tread the winepress of God's wrath. So the winepress and the grapes are already there to be crushed. The winepress has been prepared, and the winepress has one job. It's to crush grapes. So we know that the tools and the grapes are all ready. There's someone who's going to have to operate the machine because the grapes will not crush themselves. And it's God the Father is not going to be the one to tread the wine press of his own wrath. It's going to be Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying here. And so he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. He did not come to judge when he first came here. He came to offer salvation in the coming thing called the church. This thing just did not exist until he went away. That's why he acted like a Jew. That's why he kept the law, because the church didn't exist yet. 
And that's why the, the uh, apostles were confused. And that's why they were a little bit sad, too, because they thought he came to administer the kingdom of God at that time and get rid of the Roman oppression, but that didn't work out that way. Matter of fact, he got led to a cross, and they really couldn't understand that, and they all fled except for one. So who is Isaiah talking about here? See what I'm trying to establish? But more importantly, not only do we have to establish who he's talking about here, we have to establish why he's bringing this up. Because remember, we're talking about prophecies against a nation of people or a kingdom, correct? So what he's doing here, and what I'm trying to show you is, he's reliably setting a time frame. It is going to be in the day of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? This is where we're going with this, folks. Chapter 11, verse 4 in Isaiah. But with righteousness shall he, say Jesus, judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And we talked about that last week, and I read you in, in Revelation 19 and 15 that uh, he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And I'm just showing you proof that Scripture always interprets itself. And here we go in the chapter 11 and verse 5. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Now, here is further proof of a time frame. Has Jesus come back and done any of this yet? Let's see what else he hasn't done yet. Let's see what else has not been affected yet. Chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Is any of that happening today, folks? This is going to happen before Jesus comes back or after he comes back. Do you see the time frame that's being set here? Okay. And it keeps going on. Now, let's go to verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy... What's the word? Remember we talked about this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has? And what did Daniel say was going to happen when all of these kingdoms are complete? To the ten toes... Anybody remember the dream at all? So it's right. It's a stone. But this the dream goes, and we're going to review it later. There is a stone cut out of a mountain without hands. No human has touched the stone. Remember the in Israel they had a few stones, and they in the old days they some of them couldn't be touched without hands. The ones that had built the temple they had a, they couldn't use metal instruments. Rather, the same kind of thing because metal and stone are are really um, indicators of, of judgment, okay? So a stone will be cut out without human hands. More importantly, did Jesus come because of human will? No, he did not. So you see who Nebuchadnezzar is getting a dream about. And when that stone of judgment comes and smites this whole four Gentile kingdom image, what happens to it? It not only breaks apart and falls down, it disperses where there's nothing left of it. Then, at the end of the dream, that stone becomes a mountain. And what happens to that mountain in the dream? No, that's what's going to happen. You're getting close. You're getting close. But I'm just talking about the dream. No, you're right. You're right. But that's not, this is the dream. I'm trying to make a point, And the point is this. In the dream, and you'll see it, we'll, we'll get there. The mountain not only rules, it's, you're right. See, you're all right. But I'm trying to get to the, what the dream said. The dream says it engulfs the whole earth. The mountain, a mountain is a dominion or a domain in Scripture. 
So this is what he's talking about, trying to thread Elam, the Medo-Persian kingdom. Okay, remember these four kings? They all migrate forward from Abraham's time because there are four Gentile world ruling powers. There are four. That's the point. It's a chess game. Satan is allowed to bring these kings in. God allows it. And this builds the whole social, economic, and governmental system that we call the world system that started with whom? Nimrod. He's the nemesis. That's right. Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. And what did God say? Disperse. But they all wanted to build cities. And, they, and I told you about the mother and son cult, the religion. That's where we get all of this stuff from. And it's going to end in the book of Revelation when we say, Mystery Babylon has fallen, has fallen. But until then, these four kings are the bedrock of all the systems of this earth, including the religious system, which is all the mythology and all the cults and all that stuff. Okay, so they were just tracking this. All right. So now let's go back to Isaiah. So we know the time period, and that's what I wanted to show you. Now that we know the time period, verse 10, chapter 11, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse. In that day. What is that day? Well, it's more, you're right, but it's more than just the end times. It's the day of the Lord. You see, we've been in the end times since Jesus came. This is what I'm trying to show you. I want you to focus in. The scripture will tell you exactly what it means. You just have to read it. You have to look at it. And I'm not saying you don't. What I'm saying is you have to train yourself to look at it exactly what it says and think in a larger way of what God is doing. If you know his plan, then you can see, because these people, these prophets, only spoke of God's plan. And if we don't know his plan, which I'm trying to show you in this class, this special class about prophecy, it's not just about trying to figure out when Christ is coming, when the Antichrist is coming. That's the, the least of it. To understand God's heart, his mind, his character, how he plans, how he plots, and his dance with Satan to achieve, in this thing called time, salvation and the restoration of the physical universe, which he created and said were both good, right? Verse 11. Well, let's go to verse 10, because verse 10 sets up 11. Verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand as an ensign or a sign for the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his, what? War? Are we at rest now? So when is the rest coming? Anybody know? There's a name for the period of rest that's coming. Say again? The millennium. And when does that happen? The thousand years, which is the Sabbath, right? Remember, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years. We beat that one to death a couple weeks ago, right? Because you have to understand that's what God bases his timing on in this dispensation. I've showed you that many times. I showed you when in the book of Hosea, when Israel says, he will smite us, he will really rip us apart in two days, and then he will go away. Isn't that what Jesus did? And then we will recognize him. He will come back, and on the third day, he will heal us. There's a 3,000-year history, folks, of Israel being dispersed for how many years? 2,000 years, which is two days, which Hosea is talking about. So if he knew that back then, this is something that God uses as a precedent, doesn't it? So if we look at the 6,000 weeks of the uh, experience of man from Adam to the end of the dispensation of this physical age here, okay, at 6,000 years. And then the 7,000 year is the millennium, which when Christ comes and rules. And by the way, he comes back with us, doesn't he? And will there be a thousand years of, oh, the lion shall dwell with the 
Isn't Isaiah telling us about that? So we know that if we look at the whole creation week, we can expand that to the creation, to the seven days of, or the seven dispensational thousand years, if you will, the 7,000 years of experience, we know that the 7,000 year is separate because it's this mountain that strikes the four Gentile rulers which ruled this earth for 6,000 years since Nimrod. It's going to be destroyed and the final good and perfect government of Jesus Christ is going to be applied to the physical earth with physical people and he's going to be physically in the fourth temple and we're going to be ruling and reigning with him. Isn't that great? Isn't that what Isaiah is telling us here? This is the basis of our salvation. This is what we should know. And that's why I'm so glad you're here to learn it because most Christians do not know any of this. They don't care about it. Unfortunately, it's a shame because this is the richness of Scripture right here. Gotta love it. So let's continue. So we know he set the stage. We understand that now. Verse 11. And it shall come to pass when? In that, that, not this day, not another day, that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. When was the second recovery of the remnant of his people? When was the first recovery of the remnant of his people? Well, it was really Babylon. Babylon. He put them into bondage. Also, you have to realize, they weren't his people yet because they haven't come into covenant with him. They came into covenant with him at Mount Sinai. That's when they were given the law. That's where they were set apart, and that was the genesis of what he calls his people. So it's not that they weren't his people before, but the technical covenant. Like, you and I can't be his people through Christ unless we enter a covenant. So we have to look at it from this legalistic. See, God is a very, he should be a lawyer because he invents the proper protocols, and he sticks to them. And he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And Satan knows this, so Satan still thinks he can win because God says, if you can do these things and usurp this whole system by placing your man, instead of the line of the root of Jesse through David, if you can place your man there, you win. Adam was the first king of the world. He failed. The second king of the world is going to be the one who wins. Satan knows that. That's why he's been trying to thwart Christ's coming and he couldn't do it. Then he tried to have him killed any other way but the cross, but he couldn't do that. Now he's trying to destroy us. He's also trying to destroy Israel because God also said, if you could destroy Israel, then you've won. He said it in Scripture. So you see the panorama here is unfolding before us. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. So in that day, the Lord shall set again his hand a second time. The second recovery was 1948. 1948. Hey, you're close enough. You're, you're close enough. That's it. May of 1948, okay? May of 1948. To recover, remember, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt, you see? So Egypt's already, he's talking about Egypt as a separate time, right? And from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. When he says islands of the sea, remember I told you in scripture also, when you see the word sea, it is typically a metaphor for the, all the nations in the world. All the nations in the world, okay? What is he actually saying here? You see where he's saying he's recovering his people from? It's not just Babylon. It's from all over the place. That only happened one time. And that was after the diaspora for 2,000 years when Hitler and the, and the Holocaust prepared a people to come back to a land and that land was prepared for those people to come back in World War I. I've told you this in this class, right? 
You see how this all ties together? And Isaiah knew it how many hundreds of years before any of it happened. So I say we can trust him to see what the future is going to bring yet future to us, correct? Okay, so let's move on. In verse 12, And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. It only happened one time, folks, one time. And Isaiah knew it. The envy of Ed also uh, shall depart. And the adversaries of Judah, what? Who are the adversaries of Judah today? Just look at this map. And by the way, the United States is also becoming an adversary of Judah too through our Muslim president. And even before that, did you know, I can't say his name. I said I wouldn't say his name anymore. There is a major Christian leader of a major Christian church, the biggest in this nation as far as I know. You know he's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations? Oh, yes, he is. You know who else is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations? All of these presidents, including President Obama. Do you know what the Council on Foreign Relations does? Oh, they'll tell you they do nice things. They don't. I, as a Christian, would never be a member of the Council on Foreign Relations or a Freemason. I'm just letting you know, folks, know who you're dealing with. That's all I can tell you. You've got to know who. Don't let trust other people to tell you everything's fine with whomever. If you and I don't know, and we don't let the Holy Spirit tell us what is poison and what is not, look at what these people do. If you have anybody trying to unite the world's religions, stay away from them. And this person who I just mentioned to you, which I can't mention his name anymore, I just told you, he's either going to have it very soon or he's already had it in California, a major rally to unite Christians with Muslims to find the differences between the two. If you don't know who I'm talking about, ask me after class. I am angry because there are so many people who are duped by these people because they have, they come out with their, with what they do and everybody's combined. You know how, who he associates with himself to? Get me off on a tangent here. People who associate themselves with Oprah Winfrey. He's coming up with all these programs. They're going to have a hundred churches they're going to plant in a year, every year. This guy went to Syria four years ago or five years ago, somewhere around there. And the State Department told him not to go. You know why he went to Syria? Because he's trying to unify Islam with Christianity. What about Israel? What about what the Bible says about this stuff? Well, let's find out what the Bible says about this stuff. I just wanted to make sure we understand. Do you see what Isaiah is saying here? The time frame. Are we sure about that? Is there any question? Okay. Isaiah 11, 14. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hands upon Edom. Who are the Edomites? I've said it in this class. Who are they? No, but they're, they're close in proximity. They are the Palestinians. They are the Palestinians. It was Jacob and Esau. The fighting in the womb. And Jacob was renamed, what? Who's Jacob? Israel. And then what was Esau renamed? Edom. And it was his people who came to the east. You can't see it here so much. But there's Syria. Here, oh, here's Jordan right here. Moses wanted to travel through Jordan to come up. He asked the Edomites if he could do that. And he says, we won't hurt you. We won't even trample a, 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 you know, a head of wheat. We'll only take what we need. We'll pay you for it, whatever. And they said, no. The hatred from the womb, Jacob and Esau, is today the, they set, the Edomites set their kingdom or their, their, their stronghold in Petra of Jordan. 
These people are Jordanian. These are the people who came up with this lie that they have a right to that land. They want Israel destroyed. And there are Christians who don't know that, folks. There are Christians, oh, I've talked to some, let me tell you. They think the Palestinians are just looking for a home. Really? Do you know that, you know that Herod was an Edomite? Edom, they shall lay their hand upon Edom. Have they done that yet? They're trying to get make peace, peace, and look what happens to them. And Moab and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And who's the them he's talking about here? Israel in that time. You see, you see, you see, tying it together for you. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river Euphrates, I mean the river Nile, and shall smite it in seven streams and goes on and on and on and on and on. Okay. Let's go to verse, uh, tw- uh, chapter 12 and verse 2, uh, f- uh, verse 1. And in that day shall you say, O Lord, I will praise thee, for you were angry with me, but your anger is turned away and you have comforted me. Who's saying that? Israel. Have we set the time frame? Has anybody got a question? I know I'm beating this up. I want you to see that scripture always tells you what it means. You don't have to listen to anybody else. You can actually study history, <laughs> secular history. You can study scriptures. You can study things that may or may not be, uh, you know, uh, from saints or whatever you want, you want to talk. But the more you know about what happened, the more you see that the Bible is so plain. That's why this is the truth. It's not just the truth. It's so plainly laid out. Yes. Um, back to the seven thousand years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to let you determine that as we go along. How's that? Who? The Edomites or the Palestinians? The modern day Palestinians? The Ammonites. Oh, I gotta look back. I don't remember all these people. I can get the answer. I just don't remember my, I can't remember all these people. They're not nice though, I'll tell you that. They don't like Israel, I'll tell you that. I'm sure you can track them to this day. I just can't remember. Xerxes and the Ammonite, was he? King Xerxes? Okay, so there you go. See? It has you. Oh, good. So, so they didn't like Israel, did they? And, and it's, and Purim's coming up. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And in that day shalt thou say, O Lord, I will praise thee. And verse 2 in chapter 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah, my strength and my song, and he has also become my salvation. Who's not saying this now, but will say it when they see him? Israel. When they mourn for him as a son, as an only son. When they, that's right. This is what, so Isaiah is set in the time frame here, okay? So let's, let's move out. We got a, we got, oh, we got 15 minutes. That's good. All right. I'm staying on track, folks. I almost went off on a tangent, but I got myself back. And then, for the moment. That's right. That's right. So, you know what I always have to say? Don't start me. <laughs> See, I'm trying, I'm trying to give you what you need here, you know? I'm trying to give myself what I need here. All right. Oh, there's so much more here. Let's see. Verse uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doing among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. And who's going to do that in the millennium? Israel. She's going to be the head of the nations. It's wonderful. It's the truth, folks. The church won't be here to do that. We'll be here with him, administering justice and his law as it goes forth from Zion, the Temple Mount, and we will be ruling and reigning with him when Israel is the head of the nations. And I can't wait to see it. So, in verse 6, cry out and shout. You know I do that a lot. 
but I don't fight. But I do cry out and shout. You and I take. Thank you, Diane. Yes, I do. Cry out and shout, you inhabitants of Zion. You know any Christians today don't know what Zion is? They don't even care. For great is the Holy One of, and there's only one Holy One of Israel, and that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, you float my boat. Great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of Israel. And that's coming in the millennium, that thousand years. So there are people, did you know, who don't believe in the millennium? They're amillennialists, they're post-tribbers, mid-tribbers. You know what? You can believe whatever you like. But if you read the Bible, it's sorry, it's going to tell you that there is a millennium. We just proved it. And people are allowed to, and listen, you can believe whatever you want. Believe it or not, or, or read the Bible. I had to believe me. I know because I believe the lie. I told you this. I am the chief of believing lies. I wouldn't have eaten pork because I thought I was going to hell. I told you that. That's why I am so one of these people who've been set free from bondage. And I don't take it lightly. So I yes, everybody has free to have an opinion. But you know what? You come to me with an opinion. I'll give you my opinion too. And let's point to scripture and find out if you want to who's right. You know, there are Christians. I'll tell you this because I talked to them. They don't want to go to the scripture. If it's not a snippet out of the New Testament, they don't really want to go to it. That's what I'm trying to train us, because I had to train myself. When Christians point, because I've heard Christians point to the Bible about the Holy Spirit preachers, and they say there's conflicting verse. Do you know what their point is in the Bible that they think back up there? Oh, sure. I don't have it in my head right now, but believe me, I have it all written down, and if you want, I'll send you an email with it. If you look in history, even if you don't, let's say, for instance, we don't, we don't know the scriptures they point to, or let's say we're not sure, I guarantee you, all you have to do is look at history, and you'll find that this fairy tale didn't even come into being until about maybe a century and a half ago. Really? Well, I thought it was in the scriptures. No, it's not. It's not. I can show you in history where the de facto standard church, the universal church, started bringing these things in. Why do you think 95 theses had to be nailed to a door? Because it got so bad... The people believing in fairy tales that they just keep getting off track and no one says anything about it before you know it. You're a slave to someone who says, nope, you really can't understand the Bible. Or people who willingly don't study the Bible or they let others give them the Bible. They get spoon-fed the Bible. So guess what happens when you get spoon-fed the Bible? Guess what happens when you and I don't study the Bible? You're going to get watered down or manipulated truth to what they want you to see. Like this... Member of the Council on Foreign Relations, I know what he's doing. I know what he says. I listen to him. And he's always got an excuse. But I can also tell you, he said in one of his books, which is a major book throughout the world since the early 2000s, it's a book that he says that Jesus told us that prophecy is none of our business. It's in his book. And if you want to know the book, email me and I'll tell you. But this is a, this is a, see, you get me started. This is a Christian leader who so many love. He's got the biggest church in this nation. And he has the audacity to look into God's face and say, oh, you, you talk, Jesus, Jesus himself said that it's none of your, really show me that in scripture. I'll show you scripture where Jesus points out very pointedly how it's going to be. And we're going to talk about some of these, maybe not now, but next week. All right. 
So here it is. Let's, let's now look at Isaiah's prophecy against Elam. How about that? Did we build up to that enough? Have I proved it to you through Scripture? What Isaiah is talking about and the modern day area of Elam, that it's these people now, okay, an enemy of Israel. Isaiah 21, chapter 1. Isaiah 21, chapter 1. After all that beautiful language from Isaiah about the coming of the Lord and the timing, and wasn't that wonderful? Aren't we excited? Okay, listen to this. Now he's going to have, unfortunately, a burden. Has your heart ever been burdened? He's now going to have a burden. So it's not all, you know, sunshine and lollipops, which is what we were just talking about, right? Okay. Verse, uh, chapter 21 and verse 1. The burden of the desert of the sea, as whirlwinds in the south pass through, it comes from the desert from a terrible land. A grievous vision is declared unto me. The treacherous dealer deals treacherously, and the spoiler spoils. Go up, O Elam. Besiege, O media. Right? Media Persia. You see this area right here? Go up. All the sighting thereof I have made to cease. Therefore are my loins filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travails in childbirth, basically. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. My heart panted. Fearfulness affrighted me. The night of my pleasure has turned into fear upon me. Prepare the table. Watch in the watchtower. Eat, drink, arise, you princes, and anoint the shield. What is he saying here? Get ready for battle. For thus has the Lord said unto me, Go, set a watchman. Let him declare what he sees. You need to be a watchman. I need to be a watchman. Even if you're not given the gift of knowing prophecy, you are a watchman or a watch lady of something. We are here to warn. We are here to warn with the end of making people see so that they will take advantage of the salvation that we once did not have. We're warning them. There's no escape. For thus saith the Lord unto me, Go set a watcher and let them declare what he sees. And he saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of donkeys and a chariot of camels. And he hearkened diligently with much heed. And he cried, he cried, A lion, my Lord, I stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime. And I am set in my word, uh, my ward whole night. He never leaves his post. And behold, here comes a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And now he's watching from the wall and he's approaching the, the forefront, right? The, the point men of an army. It's only a couple at this point. But you know what happens when you send point men in an army? There's a whole legion behind them. Okay. And behold, here comes a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered, he said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her gods has broken under the ground. And that's the end of this. All this whole graven image, this whole thing is fallen, is fallen. Now, let's go to Jeremiah. God prepares judgment against Israel and uses other nations to affect his wrath. Now watch what happens to these people. Just watch. God is now going to set the stage for Babylon to take Jerusalem and lead people captive. Now, this is a foretype and it's already been fulfilled once. Remember, I told you that Daniel was studying the book of Jeremiah when he was inquiring of when the captivity would be over. But remember, prophecy is like time itself. You drop a pebble and you have these concentric rings. The smaller rings generate larger rings and larger rings. And I showed you this in other prophecies, and you know them yourself. And I use Joseph as an example. We have four type, and then another four type, 
but it's a more pointed four type, right? And these concentric rings keep on expanding until the absolute fulfillment of everything it kept pointing to. If we want to look at the Antichrist, but what he might be, look at Antiochus Epiphanes. And if you don't know who he is, look him up. Look at Hitler. Look at Nero. Nero's really a good one. And if you look at time linearly like we do, these little rings keep getting worse and worse until finally Hitler came. All right, we have a couple minutes left here. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 4 through 9. And the Lord has sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you, Israel, have not hearkened nor inclined your ear. They said, Turn yet again now, every one from his evil way, and from the evil way, evil of your doings, and dwell in the land of the Lord that he's given you, and by the way, brought you back to, 1948, and go not after other gods and serve them. And he goes on and on and on. So let's go to verse uh, 7, chapter, chapter 25 and verse 7. Yet you have not listened or hearkened unto me, says the Lord, yet you have provoked me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. By the way, can we take some example from that too? Remember what I said about sin? We always look to forgiveness, and we should. But to me, that kind of sometimes can cheapen sin. He says, you know how we are pretty much in this world, well, you know, if we sin, we can be forgiven. That's wonderful. That's marvelous. But what we don't think about is when we do that, there are consequences. Always, always, always. Don't dwell so much on the forgiveness Get away from the sin. Stop. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families to the north, and he's going to take them captive to Babylon. Now, let's look at the modern-day counterpart to this. I'm going to wrap up right here. The modern-day era, now we talked about the captivity to Babylon, which was Iraq, but we also know that Israel has been regathered. This is what Isaiah said from all of the lands. So now let's look at this here. The end of the matter for modern-day Elam, which is in the southwestern area of Iran. Okay, Remember, he said that Elam was going to be brought into this. Jeremiah 49, uh, chapter 49, verse 23. Now, I want you to see if you, if you know any of these cities. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 23. Concerning what city? Damascus. Hamath is confounded and are pod, for they have heard evil tidings. They are faint-hearted. Would you say that today? Damascus is hearing evil tidings. Do you realize how close they are to being invaded? Um, actually, the rebels who are CIA, by the way. These are the same people who are, some of them are anyway, from Libya, the mercenaries that came in. And I'm going to show you something that next week where Scripture actually talks about a way of war that one of these kings devised where they would pay, they would build an army by paying peoples from around the area to come and fight with them. These people didn't have any particular axe to grind, but they could make them money if they were good warriors. So they were employed. These today we call mercenaries. Libya was overthrown mostly by mercenaries. The Al-Qaeda, you know who trained them? The CIA. That's right. And they trained them, and now they're being used to go in and take Syria. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not, all I'm telling you is what these nations do to get the job done. Where do they learn these things from? The Gentile rulers have all come. These kings have all... I told you Nimrod was a great hunter, right? So if you if you could invent a way of doing something and it works, why not just keep doing it, right? So, okay, let me just finish this section up here. They are faint-hearted. There is sorrow on the sea and it cannot be quieted. Verse 24. Damascus is waxed 
feeble and turns herself to flee and fear has seized on anguish and sorrows have taken her as a woman in travail. She's getting there, isn't she, folks? How is it the city of my praise has not left the city of my joy? Therefore, her young men shall fall in her streets and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts, and I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad and this is the destruction of Western Iran and her, and her uh, nuclear facilities tied to this. So we're going to go to Isaiah 17 shortly. Well, we'll do that next week. Isaiah 17 is another burden on poor Isaiah. And this time he says it is the burden of Damascus. And he goes into further detail. And I'm going to show you some prophecies against Egypt. I told you that Egypt is prophesied not to be inhabitable for 40 years. That's what scripture says. 40 years. Do you think that's an allegory? No. It says that there's a tower of Cyrene. Well, when that was written, I can tell you history says that there was no tower in an area called Cyrene, which is the southernmost end of Egypt, right above the Sudan, right where the Nile River comes from the Sudan up into Egypt. But there is a town called Aswan there, and the Cyrene still is there. But Aswan, they built this huge Hoover-like dam that Russia helped them build, and it would take a nuclear bomb to destroy it. So the prophecy goes that Egypt will not be allowed to be inhabitable for 40 years. Why? Because if they blow that up, like Israel decides to blow that up, when they do take the nuclear option, and I believe they will, they will probably blow up that dam. Why? Because that will create radioactive waters which will flood the Nile Plains all the way up to Egypt. What is the only thing that can keep an area uninhabitable for 40 years? Here's another question for you. If we are that close to the tribulation, and I believe we are because this can't keep going on, there's other things we can talk about, the world convulsing, the earthquakes, things that Jesus told us about. That means that it looks like when this prophecy is fulfilled, it's going to be a war, which we'll talk about Psalm 83 next week. Okay, It's going to mean that even into the millennium, the tribulation is only going to be seven years. During the millennium, this part of Egypt is still going to be uninhabitable. What's going to happen when these people are displaced? Where do you think they're going to go? All over the rest of the world. They're coming here now. And we have a country who is welcoming Islam, and they are making the laws. You hear the Sharia laws now being talked about in some of these cities and some of these places because they're getting us ready for the invasion or the onslaught of Islam because they're bringing us to one world. And right now, although I do not believe it will last, the Antichrist will not allow it to last, in my opinion, and I have my reasons for that. I'm not going to get into here, but I'm going to tell you something. Islam is going to grow. It is going to be consuming until the Antichrist gets rid of it because he's going to have to say that he's God. And three and a half years into the tribulation, he's going to be moving into the newly rebuilt temple that he's going to allow Israel to build, and they're going to think he's God, Messiah, because he's going to say, you can not only rebuild the temple, but you can start your daily sacrifices again. If you were a Jew, what do you think? Hey, he must be God, right? Then he's going to move in three and a half years. And that's when Jesus says in the book of Matthew, in the days of the tribulation, what he said was is that there will be a place prepared for the Jews left in that day, right? And where are they going to go? They're going to be taken on eagle's wings and they're going to be taken to a place of safety. Oh, we're not supposed to know this, though, because Jesus said it's none of your business, but Jesus said it. Okay, so I would, I would err on the side of Jesus. That place will probably be, for many reasons, that same place where the Edomites had their little uh, kingdom, which is in Petra, which is an impenetrable fortress, the Red Rose City. God's going to bring them there. And then, because three and a half years, they're going to say the abomination that causes desolation, where Jesus says, 
And the reader should understand. It says, Jesus actually said himself, the abomination that causes desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Jesus himself said that. When you see that, you will know it's time to flee. The Jews will see that because that abomination of desolation, just like Antiochus Epiphanes, put a statue of Zeus in the temple after he sacrificed the pig and put a statue of his face on Zeus, which is the main god, which, by the way, I told you, Obama and Zeus are tied together because he... The, Satan, the throne of Satan, I told you, he had a, a replica of it built. I told you that. It's a lot here, folks, but prophecy shows it. He's going to move into the temple, and just like Antiochus Epiphanes said he was God, the Antichrist is going to move in, and he's going to say, I am God. That's when the Jews are going to say, uh-oh, here's another Antiochus Epiphanes event. Here's Zeus moved into the temple again. Now he's going to be after us. And in Revelation it says, and then a flood comes out of the dragon's mouth. And it chases after the woman, right? Anybody know that from Revelation? That's what he's talking about. So in, in, in these five minutes, I just showed up. Uh, some things in Isaiah, some things in Matthew that Jesus said, some things in Revelation, and it didn't take me too long. Because it's all flows in Scripture. Scripture is very plain. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. Keep watching this world. Watch what you hear. Filter everything you hear through the Holy Spirit.